0: So, Dale, I don't know how much you know about therapy, but it usually starts by you telling me a little something about yourself.
1: I thought there'd be couches and Kleenex and shit. Look at me, son. It's not your fault.
2: Do you want to talk about some of those feelings? I love you. Obviously, you don't know me. So, how's this supposed to work? You sit, I sit, we talk.
3: Hi, I'm Dr. Sam, and I'm Dr. Fran. Welcome to Freudian Scripts, the podcast where we put your favorite TV shows and movies on the hypothetical couch and take a deeper dive into the way psychology is portrayed. We analyze the way therapy looks in entertainment, discuss the way psychological diagnoses are portrayed, and break down other psychological themes seen
0: on our screens. As a reminder, Freudian Scripts is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your mental health professional with any questions and seek care if needed. The content and clips in today's episode will contain explicit language and mature and adult themes.
3: Welcome to this week's Real Rounds mini-session. In case you have forgotten, for these mini-sessions, we will round on a specific topic, discussing clips and sharing information, as you might see during medical rounds, done with healthcare professionals. And today, we'll be focusing on a specific subtype of psychology that we have not covered yet called school psychology. Also, as a quick reminder, during the real rounds, we're not going to do a super, you know, deep dive into what school psychology is, but really hoping to introduce you, provide some information and details, and then we'll listen to a couple of clips to get a sense of how school psychology is portrayed in TV shows and movies. So to start us off, though, Dr. Fran,
0: what is a school psychologist? That is a great question, Dr. Sam, and I, I'm surprised that we haven't covered this topic yet because I feel like we've done a lot of adolescent mental health, but somehow True. have not really covered, like di- di- dived, uh, gone into in depth <laughs> to um, like what a school psychologist versus like school counselors. So we'll we'll go into a little bit of that today. Um, so when we think about a school psychologist, I mean, just at its base level, it is a psychologist who is based in a school setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and the work that they do is similar to what a psychologist in other settings might do, but specifically as working with individual students and depending on the school and the type of um you know contract that they have, they may do different types of things, so they may do individual therapy like we might have seen in some movies. Um, They may also do psychological testing. Mm -hmm. They may work on some like career counseling kind of aspects, but really kind of the focus is on supporting the mental health issues of students who are in that particular school. Um, And then testing is a really big one. And we'll kind of talk about why testing is an important distinguishing factor of school psychologists.
3: I think that's an excellent introduction, Dr. Fran, and I feel like this is probably a concept or a type of psychology that people are probably not as familiar with or maybe can be really unclear. Um, When we were actually prepping for this mini session, we were talking to a friend about school psychology, and they were even asking like, wait, what is a school psychologist? Like how is a school psychologist different from a counselor or a guidance counselor or like a career coach or a school nurse even, right? Like had no clue. So I think that this will be hopefully helpful to help distinguish that. And I like the way you kind of framed the different things that they might do in the school setting. I think kind of an overarching umbrella is really – School psychologists are aiming to help identify potential issues or even potential strengths that students may have and to really like help propel them towards success. So, you know, whether that's personal, you know, related to their well-being or academic achievement, Um, oftentimes we might see in school settings that school psychologists are working for working with students who qualify for special services. And a big piece of that might be assessing the student to see if additional supports and resources Mm -hmm you know, special assistance with learning or different styles or different, um, you know, uh, extra help maybe in the classroom or out of the classroom with learning or being able to successfully complete their work. So they assess for that and then can kind of also implement these um, education plans to help those students with those types of things.
0: Yeah, I think that's what makes this position really pretty unique to the school system of Mm -hmm. there are not as many Kind of like embedded psychologists in like situations where you would need to be doing this level of like testing and assessing and like putting these plans in place. True. Um, so like Dr. Sam was mentioning, like someone really who's skilled in this um, like assessment of psychological conditions that may impact the learning environment. So common ones we might think of of like a learning disability mm-hmm. or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder ADHD um, things that we know may impact the. Um, you know, the school setting. And then those plans that Dr. Sam mentioned are kind of ways to, yeah, how can we put additional supports or accommodations in place to be able to provide more assistance for those students who may have those conditions. Um, And there are a host of other things that I'm kind of just like lightly touching the surface of things that um, a school psychologist might do through that assessment and plan creation um, phase. But that's kind of one, one piece of the puzzle. Very true. And I think one of the interesting
3: pieces or parts of school psychology that I actually feel like is similar to the setting that I work in with, you know, Freudian scriptors may remember that I practice in a hospital setting, but school psychologists similarly collaborate with a lot of other professionals just within the school setting. And so, you know, that's Mm -hmm. something that I do in my own work in the hospital setting, which I find is really cool and can be really beneficial, right? Especially for the students, I think, that the school psychologists are working with. So in particular, you know, they are working directly to assess and provide interventions and support to the students. But in doing so, they're also having to gather information from teachers, from parents, from families, other school employees, right? Like if there are other mental health professionals in the school setting, like counselors or school social workers, um, to either gather information about the student or to then implement these support strategies working with all of those people as well. As Dr. Fran and I often talk about, when you're working with children and adolescents, like whether it's in the school setting or otherwise, These children don't exist just out in the world alone in a vacuum, right? They're part of these family and school systems. And I think that's a big piece of why school psychology is really beneficial and really helpful. And it's great that they kind of work with all of those members and other people that also impact
0: the student. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and we're talking. We'll talk a little bit about school psychologists versus a few different disciplines. But one um, additional piece that would distinguish a school psychologist or um, kind of makes them unique is that they do have a specific, um, either a specific degree in school psychology mm-hmm. or a specialization in school psychology that like allows them to have you know had different um, training experiences in the school setting, different coursework, et cetera, that helps them be like experts in this specific type of psychology. They also have their own. Um, Like governing kind of board. Mm -hmm. So we have, we've talked a lot about the American Psychological Association. School psychologists have their own of those as well. Um, And they also need to be licensed in a similar way that we've talked about with other healthcare professionals or other types of psychologists, um, where they need to have, you know, a doctorate and then a Mm -hmm. specific amount of training and then a license to be able to call themselves like a licensed school psychologist. Exactly. Similar to
3: us, they also do a year of internship. Um, And actually interesting in the hospital setting that I practice in, I do work with students and provide mentorship and supervision while they're in training to school psychology graduate students that are also interested in gaining clinical intervention skills. So some of them will do Mm -hmm. year long, um, we call like externship rotations within the hospital setting to even strengthen those intervention skills that they can then bring to the school setting as well. Um, or other settings that they might practice in. But in particular, those school psychologists that then go on to graduate, complete their internship, complete their licensure. Um, And then their credential is called licensed specialist in school psychology, or the LSSP. And then they go on to be licensed school psychologists in the school setting. So I think that's one way that I've had the opportunity to interact with um, future school psychologists. And then in my practice I've also, you know, um worked with school psychologists when we're working maybe with the same child and trying to, you know, make sure we're all using the same strategies or skills um across settings for the the family and the kid.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really helpful to kind of walk through the stages of how one becomes a school psychologist. And now we can kind of talk a little bit what Dr. Sam had referred to earlier of what distinguishes a school psychologist from other types of counseling (laughs) professions that we hear about, because there are a ton that can be in the school setting. So we hear the term like school counselor or school therapist Mm -hmm. or guidance counselor or career counselor. There's all these different terms that can be used, and sometimes people use them interchangeably, even though they may actually be referring to different professionals within the setting.
3: And I think that can be really confusing, and it kind of mirrors things we've talked about before when people aren't as familiar, like what's the difference between a counselor, therapist, psychologist, Mm -hmm. right, psychiatrist even. So it can be really tricky. I think one of the biggest differentiators is the fact that, you know, school psychologists do have a graduate degree, in psychology, and are also licensed um, professionals to practice. Um, sometimes, school counselors, those may be different levels of degree in education, and those may vary. Um, and so, sometimes, while we see that there could be some overlap, which we'll talk about. Generally, when we think about school counselors, they tend to work with the entire student population. So maybe have a certain area of focus um, that they're working on kind of more broadly versus school psychologists that tend to kind of intervene or assess and work at the more like individual student level.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. I think that's, that's a good point. And then also a big, like they, they may have similar like, uh, things that they focus on. So like wanting to make sure that students feel supported and that they, you know, are being, are prepared for graduating and figuring out whatever comes after graduation. Mm -hmm. Um, school psychologists do tend to have a little bit more of a focus on like the mental health. So providing like individualized like one-on-one therapy or mm-hmm. psychotherapy so that it's not something that school counselors can't do, but it is something that school psychologists tend to do a bit more of. Um, and a big difference is that testing piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so psychologists are typically the only ones who are licensed and trained in a way to provide mm-hmm. that psychological testing and assessment and then interpretation and yes. like the planning of that. So that's a big difference of typically, you're not going to see school counselors or like guidance counselors as they um, used to be called uh, providing the like psychological testing aspect that tends to be something more unique to the school psychologists.
3: And this term like testing that we thre- we keep, you know, mentioning might seem a little bit like nebulous. It's like what kind of tests are being <laughs> done on students, right? And when we say that, I think it's like something we're so used to. Um, but really, this testing can look a lot of different ways. It could be like questionnaires that the student and their family are filling out. And these questionnaires may be related to different behaviors and or mood, anxiety, kind of getting a sense from the self-report of the child and their family of what those things might, be, uh, might look like. And then there are also more standardized tests that look at things like learning, like how one can perform in reading or math, cognitive abilities, attention, right? Looking at um, standardized ways of looking at if a child might have a deficit in executive functioning skills or their ability to pay attention or remember things. So the test kind of like for lack of a better way to put it, or maybe an easier way to visualize. They're almost like little like puzzles and or games at times, or really just like tests, like answering math questions, spelling different words. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of come in a, a, in various modalities. But when we say testing, that's what we're talking about is really trying to assess um, either by doing standardized like uh, tasks or by asking questions about the child's like behavior, mood, and then their functioning in various domains.
0: Yeah. And you'll also hear the term like a psychological assessment Mm -hmm. thrown around, which is essentially the fancier, like more, um, you know, clinical term for what Dr. Sam just described. So when we talk about like psychological assessment, like Mm -hmm. assessing with usually the goal of trying to identify like, maybe a diagnosis or trying to better understand like the cognitive or academic functioning of an individual using all the different strategies that Dr. Sam just mentioned.
3: Yes. And oftentimes after completing this testing and these assessments, then there will be a report of the students' potential strengths and maybe some potential areas of like relative weaknesses or difficulties. And then really the goal is to help to foster those strengths and help address any difficulties that the child may be experiencing to set them up for success. And so that's a big piece of what school psychologists, like we talked about in the beginning, kind of that umbrella art, that umbrella goal of what they're um, striving
0: to do. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think we've done a nice overview of school psychology, and I think it's time for us to maybe transition into talking about a few clips that hopefully represent a bit of what we're talking about today. All right. So our first clip that um, Dr. Sam and I kind of pulled one each to kind of share with each other, but we've both seen them. Um, So the first clip that I'm going to share is a clip from the show Stranger Things. Um, And in season four, we have a school psychologist portrayed working with one of the characters, Max. Um, There's not any major spoilers for season four in this season because this is in this episode because there's just this is just from like 30 minutes into the first episode of the season. Um, But we will reference a little bit of stuff that happened in previous seasons and kind of understanding what's going on with this character. So just as a heads up.
3: That's good because I have not watch this season so i'm glad there are no spoilers Yeah, i'm behind <laughs> no spoilers
0: <laughs> no spoilers um yeah so we will take a listen to this and then kind of uh talk about what we're watching what we're seeing a c in english and a c minus in
2: spanish yeah well that's not normal for you if you say so how's your mom holding up
1: she's fine I mean she hates our new place, which like yeah, it's terrible, but she's fine.
2: Is she still drinking?
1: Like yeah, a little, but well she's working two jobs. So it's not easy.
2: It must not be easy for you either, with your stepdad gone.
1: It's kinda of better, honestly. Better how? He was an asshole? So there's less... assholery. (laughs) Are you sleeping better? Yeah, fine. Mm.
2: So no more headaches? Nightmares?
3: That's a yes.
2: Nope. Max? Max? What you've been through, what you're still going through, it's a lot for anyone. And it's okay to not be okay. But I can only help you if you're truthful. If you open up to me. Yeah, I
0: I know I'm I'm being open.
3: Mm. I'm being open. I haven't seen this season, but I feel like, you know, um, we usually like to talk about things that we feel like maybe go well or don't go so well. And then kind of bringing it back, you know, to the theme, but in particular, Freudian scriptors know that I am a big fan of sleep. (laughs) And so I really like (laughs) that this, um, you know, counselor, as it said on the door is asking about sleep because people rarely do, um, But I think her questions could have been a little bit more broad because she, you know, kind of calls out that Max isn't necessarily being open, but a lot of the questions are yes, no questions. And so that kind of gives Max an out Mm -hmm. of just being like, yep, sleep's fine. Yep, no nightmares. Nope, nope, yep, yep, nope, you know, versus kind of having a more open-ended approach might have gotten a little bit more response, I think, from Max. But I do like that she's checking in on Max, asking about sleep and nightmares and trying to validate that Max may not be... or. Rather, Max may be going through a difficult time, which it definitely seems like is the case.
0: Yeah, and I, yeah, I was kind—I of, couldn't remember if she checks if she kind of catches that Max is maybe not being fully forthcoming with mm-hmm. the symptoms that she's still experiencing. Um, even though, like from the viewer, it's very obvious she still is having nightmares. Because what you can't see but you can hear is that when she asks if she's having nightmares, she has a flashback, and um, it's of her brother who died, which is like part of what she's um, having a lot of difficulty coping with, uh, and so. <laughs> Yeah, I think the fact that she brings it up of like, it's, you know, I can understand why you're, you know, feeling this way. And it's going to be hard for me to fully help you if you're not uh, being fully truthful about what's going on. Um, So sure. I think it's important to at least acknowledge that. I don't know if I feel like after this session, yeah. Max is going to be much more open than she's being right now. No. Uh, I mean, I think mm-hmm. they have somewhat of a rapport, you know, that she's able to kind of make um, like a sarcastic comment about like the stepdad not being there. Mm -hmm. So I think they have like some level of a rapport, but it's clearly not there enough that she feels comfortable opening up um, and being totally honest about what she's experiencing.
3: Yeah. And it does seem like though, maybe at some point that we didn't see in the TV show Max had shared right because she is asking about like sleep and nightmares which like kind of gives a sense that maybe she knew Max was having trouble with in the past Um, and when you say that Max's brother was killed I feel like that's putting it Fairly lightly, Dr. Fran, because what you all don't see in the clip is that her brother is, like, impaled and murdered by the, like, alien monster creature from Stranger Things. So it seems like there's a lot of trauma from this event, understandably so, and grief from the loss of her brother that it appears like she's been maybe talking to somewhat um, about with this counselor.
0: Yeah. And you don't see this in this clip, but another thing that you notice in the first episode with Max is that she's also like really socially isolating. So she's Mm -hmm. kind of pushed away her friends. She um, is kind of like shutting down those relationships and really kind of keeping to herself. So you can definitely see that she's got a lot of um, kind of signs that something's going on Mm -hmm. and that um, she could use some extra, extra support. I think unfortunately a theme of this show is kids who, either like don't trust authority or yeah. like have tried to seek help from authority or adults. And then they like end up being aliens or, you know, not being helpful or they don't believe them. So I can understand why she's very not, she's mistrustful or not like really wanting to be fully open with the adults in the show. Cause that's just kind of how this show is, is mm-hmm. that the kids solve all the problems and save the world yeah. without a ton adults of knowing <laughs> adults knowing about it.
3: Yeah. The <laughs> yeah, adults exactly. don't know about it and the adults are not quick to believe in the upside down.
0: Right, exactly. They are not the most competent, helpful adults, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think another piece of this that is pretty accurate, with if thinking about the school context, is that they open with talking about grades and mm-hmm. the academic functioning, and that I think is something that comes up regardless, often when you're working with like an adolescent or a mm-hmm. teenager or a you know child, someone who's in the school system because True. that's an important part of their functioning in their life. Um, but I think especially in like the school psychology role. That's going to be something that they have access to and they have that information about how the student's doing academically, and something that's going to be a little cue of like, she notices, hey, usually you're doing pretty well in your mm-hmm. classes, and now you have a C, something in addition to all these other. This, all this other information she's getting is, is going on that's maybe contributing to Max not being in a great place. That is
3: an important indicator that we often look at in general, too, right? If there's a significant change. And so from the school setting, mm-hmm. just like you mentioned, Dr. Fran, if this is a student, you know, Max, who has been doing you know, historically well, or making certain grades, and then you see a drastic change, especially if it seems to be like a decline, that might be a sign, like maybe something's going on, maybe there's a challenge, a barrier, something that's making it more difficult to succeed at the level that she was, you know, um, performing at before. And I think you're right for school psychologists, they have access to that, they're going to be more in tune to that. Um, and I think that that kind of also gives them a open door to say like, hey, we've noticed this change, is there something else going on? Before we move on to our next clip, Dr. Fran, I'm kind of curious because one of the things we talked about is like this kind of nebulous feel or kind of difficulty for people to kind of understand the difference between school psychology and school counselors. And when Max walks into the door, it does just have a sign that says counselor on it. But we also see that this counselor is uh, kind of checking more in about like mental health and those related Mm -hmm. symptoms. So I'm kind of just curious about your sense of this portrayal and whether you think it leans accurate or maybe leans a different direction or does kind of seem more like a school psychologist versus counselor. Obviously, we don't know the answer, but just kind of wondering. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And sometimes like, you know, in movies or TV shows, they may like say someone's a psychologist, but then they don't act like one or vice versa. And I think because they leave it vague, it's like, it's probably decently accurate because I think if she is a school counselor, this would be some typical things that a school counselor might check in on. Um, so I think from that perspective, it's fairly accurate and she doesn't do anything egregious, which we no. love to see therapists that are not behaving in egregious ways or <laughs> counselors that are behaving in non-egregious ways. So It's good. Um, there are some other like, interesting ethical things that come up and to be completely honest I did not watch the rest of the season because I watched this episode and at the end there's a really scary thing that happens and then I was like I'm out I'm not watching the rest of
3: it well for context Freudian scriptors, I get a text from Dr. Fran one night that's like wow we should cover Stranger Things season four they're talking about like school psychology and there's like therapy in the school setting like 30 minutes later never mind it's too scary I won't watch it <laughs> it was
0: too scary <laughs> so that's why, oh, that's why it's a mini sound
3: that's why it's a mini sound.
0: yeah so I did not watch the rest of the season because I you know I don't want to have nightmares like Max does of the horrible things that happen in this show so but I did look a little bit at like what happens in the show especially in like the counselor relationship and there's this whole thing where max goes to try to get records mm-hmm. of a fellow student who has died so that she can figure out what happened to her Page, and, don't um the therapist i yeah <laughs> the therapist i think handles it correctly like she doesn't give it to her but then max like breaks into her office and steals it anyway so as one um, does <laughs> there's definitely more that we could unpack but um i don't have the stomach for it so we will we will not be covering those
3: yep so it's only in this minisode who knows what the future holds But maybe it's a good time to bring in our next clip before Dr. Fran gets too scared. (laughs) All right. So for our second clip, this is from season four, episode eight of Riverdale. And the episode is actually titled In Treatment. And I have completely lost track of what season of Riverdale it is. So, you know, if you want to watch this episode or kind of see these therapy scenes, it really kind of relates to season four. Um, In the clip we're about to listen to, basically the high school seniors at Riverdale who, you know, in in typical fashion behave more like young adults than teenagers. But at this point, they're actually receiving notifications about college and kind of experiencing an overall stressful time. So the school brings in who they call a guidance counselor, um, to help the students navigate these kind of stressors and troubles. So first, kind of given this debate we've had about the, not debate, but, you know, kind of given the discussion that we've had about differences potentially between guidance counselors and school psychologists, I want to give a quick listen to one of the students. So Jughead Jones, for those of you who watch Riverdale, introducing the character of the quote unquote guidance counselor.
2: And as if those deliveries weren't unsettling enough, colleges and universities had started sending out their first wave of envelopes. Some thin, some thick, all life-changing. Making it a particularly stressful time for Riverdale High seniors. Which is why Principal Honey asked the school's guidance counselor, Mrs. Burble, to offer extended office hours. So whatever anxiety the students were feeling, they'd have a licensed professional to go to for confidential comfort and or advice. Something it turned out many of us were long overdue for. It's
0: like a decent summary of what a role of a school counselor or school psychologist might be in that situation. True.
3: So we'll definitely unpack it a little bit more, but I thought interesting to kind of listen to that introduction. Definitely the students of Riverdale all need and could benefit from therapy. So I do think this is a welcome um, addition. And honestly, we could talk about this whole episode for many sessions because each of the students goes to meet the counselor. Um, But I also want to listen to just one other quick introduction where quote unquote, Mrs. Burble introduces herself after receiving SAS from a parent.
1: Excuse me,
0: Ms. Burble. I must've missed your doctorate on the wall because I don't need a therapist.
2: Licensed psychologist. Actually.
0: So
3: there we're kind of hearing a little bit of this guidance counselor versus licensed psychologist. Mm -hmm. So I think it's probably more accurately Dr. Burble than Mrs. Burble. Yeah. So we'll definitely come back and unpack some of this. But it does seem like Dr. Burble, even though she's at first introduced as a guidance counselor, has a doctorate in psychology and is a licensed school psychologist. And now we'll go into the session that she has with Archie. Um, He's been having some difficulties and is expressing them to dr burble so let's give a listen there and then kind of
2: discuss it more in depth just want to talk
1: oh okay what about
2: well for starters college you haven't applied to any
1: yeah i i'm not really interested i'm needed here in riverdale
2: to take over andrew's construction
1: no to clean up the town someone needs to step up like my dad would have he spent his whole life helping people
2: can we talk about him for a second How are you managing?
1: I try to carry on his legacy.
2: You've already done so much good. You opened up a center for at-risk kids.
1: That's not enough.
2: Why would you think that?
1: Ever since I started trying to help people, things have gotten complicated. I've messed things up, and I have to fix it so no one else gets hurt. Hurt? Mm Mm-mm. Archie,
2: I have to tell you, if you admit to a crime... Or tell me that you're putting yourself or anyone else in danger. I am required to report it. I'm fine. Are it's you? not totally true. Because you've missed a lot of football. Where you excelled. We'll come back to that. And those cuts <laughs> and bruises on your hands are not from sports.
3: A change in sports, too, there. Like, another
2: change. The truth is...
1: I go out at night.
2: You mean cruising in Fox Forest?
1: What? No, I don't mean that. I... I put on a mask and i try to help people
2: i'm not sure i follow
1: I, I'm, I'm a big comic book fan mr justice the comet the red circle i really identify with them you know
2: are you saying it's a lot to unpack here Your you Yes. fantasies about acting like these comic book heroes exactly no. like there's
1: this dealer dodger he does it he uses kids to do his dirty work kids the police can't do anything so someone else has to stop them. yes to protect the community yes a
2: vigilante no yes who protects the vigilante <laughs> who cares i don't read a lot of comic books but doesn't the hero usually suffer a great tragedy and then create their persona out of rage is that right i guess so mm-hmm. doesn't that resonate <laughs> with you because everything that you've told me Feels like it could be fueled by grief-induced anger. Like I
1: said, Miss Burble, I just, I'm I'm just trying to help.
2: But to do it safely, we have to acknowledge and work on the anger. Why?
1: I know I'm angry. There it is. Miss Burble, Mm -hmm. I'm not an idiot. Look at all the crappy things that have happened to me. To my friends. Very true. To my dad. They make me angry. You. Talking to me like I'm a moron. That makes me angry.
2: Understandably.
1: And it hurts. I hurt all the time. And all I want to do is make sure no one else does. But I screwed it up. <laughs> My mom almost got shot in a drive-by. She was held at gunpoint on Thanksgiving. How is the guy supposed to, to clean up the town and protect his loved ones if he's putting them in the crosshairs?
3: Yeah.
1: And his father was shot, too. Huh? Theoretically.
2: (laughs) The behavior you're discussing sounds like an addiction. No, it's not. Isn't it? You're aware of negative Mm -hmm. consequences, Mm -hmm. but you're compelled anyway. That's compulsive behavior.
1: Forget me going out at night. It's not
2: necessarily addiction.
1: Just running the city. Yeah, those feel like target. two
2: different things. Yeah, but you <laughs> keep at it. It's the appropriate and smarter way to channel your anger and help those in need. It feels like it's not enough. Then why not enlist more volunteers? Like me. Or you can start an anonymous tip line to give you farther reach so those people who are scared to talk to the police can, can report things. But I can't stress this enough, Archie. Do not go out at night. You could get hurt. Your loved ones could get hurt.
0: What do you think, Dr. (laughs) Fran? I mean, this is a full-on therapy session. This is like a deep dive therapy session.
3: That's true. We maybe don't need to critique the therapy as much. Maybe kind of talk more about the context because you're right. And for context, Archie and just Riverdale in general have gone through a lot of trauma. There's been like various serial killers, deaths. Archie in particular has like lost his father. Riverdale kind of has high crime and he has taken it upon himself to act as a vigilante to try to save everyone. And he feels a lot of pressure, like thinking he's the only one who can do it. Um, so I guess maybe to start off, what did you think in, about the distinction between guidance counselor versus the licensed psychologist and kind of what role Dr. Burble is actually playing in this,
0: in this scene? Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense that she corrected the mom who was making assumptions (laughs) that she was, you know, a guidance counselor or maybe going to do some of the more, not surface level, but um, more kind of the like, you know, academic and, you know, sleep and then kind of those like uh, bigger picture stuff, because she's clearly doing like full on therapy with this person, or Mm -hmm. I'm imagining with maybe some of the other students too. So I think it makes sense in this does seem to be more in line with what a school psychologist might do, especially with a student who has gone through a lot of trauma and is Mm -hmm. dealing with some pretty significant behaviors that may need to be addressed, or at least, um, you know, done in a way that is safer. Mm -hmm.
3: I also heard you responding kind of to her diagnoses of like addiction and compulsive behaviors. Um, So I'm kind of curious, just kind of briefly on your thoughts about that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's hard without <laughs> big <more> context, <laughs> but I mean, I think, yeah, I think she's jumping in pretty quickly to yes. like, talking about this as like an addiction or then mm-hmm. like you're having a compulsion. Um, and those are like kind of big terms that have a lot of like meaning, whether we think that's accurate meaning or not. Um, so it's probably not the language I would use, especially mm-hmm. at this stage with the person. But I think she's on the right track in terms of like, trying to understand where the behavior is coming from, like it's likely related to anger and grief Mm -hmm. and probably a lack of like sense of control and wanting to help people. So I think she's on the right track with like trying to understand where the behavior is coming from, but labeling it in this way is probably not where I would go.
3: I agree. And this is the first time they're like meeting as well. And so I think kind of even just throwing these terms at Archie, probably could be more off-putting. And I do think like if Archie was my patient, I would be pretty proud that he then expressed like all the frustration that he's feeling and that he wasn't really feeling heard or supported. Right. Um, and I think part of that too, like my sense about the report is she was kind of lecturing to him more than I thought like mm-hmm. a therapy session that maybe I would lead would be um, like, right. you know, in terms of like telling him, we'll try this or do this versus kind of working with him to problem solve. Like, okay, you're having this difficulty. What are some solutions? She was kind of telling him like, don't go be a vigilante, do this instead. And right. You know, for those of us who have worked with adolescents, that probably isn't always the most effective strategy.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's coming at it from a very like risk averse approach, yes. which I think is understandable in terms of like, we do sometimes work with adolescents who are engaging in, you know, dangerous behaviors or self-harming yep. behaviors or, you know, these different types of behaviors that are very problematic and risky and kind of going at it in this very like risk averse of like, we just have to get rid of this immediately. Um can sometimes be effective, but sometimes not. Um, And then that may actually push the client or patient away. And then they may be less likely to engage or Mm -hmm. want to work with you. So I think, yeah, she's taking a very like, we need to get rid of this right away. Like you can tell she's worried and she even like her body language changes. And she's like, I might have to report a crime if you've Mm -hmm. done something, which is, not actually true. We've talked about this a bit on the podcast before. You have to report if uh, you know, someone reports <laughs> that they're going to go engage in like uh, you know, suicidal or homicidal behavior, but mm-hmm. um, you know, other things than that do not necessarily need to break confidentiality to be reported.
3: Yes, I agree with all of that. And I also think if she could see what Archie was actually up to, and if I could if I had a patient that was doing the things that Archie was doing like putting himself in danger to physically try to stop these like criminals who are you know, murdering and injuring and um, doing horrible things to people and the town, I would understandably be very concerned. I want to try to like squash that immediately as well. Um, I just thought her approach kind of wasn't received very well by Archie, who was like, you know, wanting to talk about the difficulties that he's having. And I, you know, honestly, I have watched beyond this clip and, you know, spoiler alert, it doesn't work. He continues to be a vigilante just because she (laughs) told him to stop. Um, And actually his symptoms do become worse um, mm-hmm. after, uh, they put him on, uh, medication, it seems like he kind of has like adverse effects mm-hmm. and then things kind of get worse for him before they, you know, eventually get a little bit better, but you know, it's Riverdale. So there's just an, one more serial killer, like around the corner. So it
0: doesn't last long. <laughs> I will, it's clearly not a place you want to move to. They just have <laughs> a really high proportion of serial killers for some reason.
3: For a very small town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, great. Well, I think that those were two like nice examples of therapy in the school setting. You know, one that's like from a confirmed licensed psychologist in the school setting. I think we kind of saw different things that we might expect, like we talked about. So kind of working in that individual mm-hmm. uh, at the individual level, working on helping the students with their well-being and mental health and kind of doing therapy in that setting. Um But like we talked about, this still doesn't show some of those unique aspects related to school psychology. So, you know, we're not seeing the school psychologists do assessment of cognitive or academic abilities. We're not seeing them put like education plans into effect to help the students succeed. And I would kind of wager a guess that that's because seeing an actor, an actress sit down and do tests for about like an hour, 30 minutes is probably not like very uh, cinematically exciting. (laughs)
0: I know that sounds enthralling to me. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for tuning in to our real round session today. We were really excited to at least do a little bit of surface level discussion of school psychology and school counseling. And we hope to bring this concept back to the couch at some point in the future. Um, Don't forget to send us your own clips. If you have some good ones you like in the script setting that you've seen or ones in a completely different setting or just um, other clips that you want us to put on the couch, feel Mm -hmm. free to send that to us by email or on social, Instagram, Twitter, and our new TikTok page at Mm. Freud Scripts Pod.
3: Yes, I think we're officially like on all of the things now. So you can find us, contact us and watch content at Freud Scripts Pod. So please find us there. Um, And stay tuned for some exciting new episodes coming up. And as always, please subscribe, rate, and review. Time's up. See you next session.
0: We'd like to thank our producer, Brandon. Creative director, Eric. And webmaster.com. I really want to sing the um, uh oh the Kate Bush song, but I'm not gonna put myself on glass like that. It's
1: like high pitch, so good luck.